Today on the Arts Report, we've got Christmas content galore in our part one of two uh, Christmas specials. So we'll have features on uh, White Christmas, Winter Harp, uh, Film Festival for Peace, uh, The Nutcracker, and some other non-Christmas related stuff as well. Uh, as well, we've got free tickets to Greenhorns and a $100 DJ workshop. So stay with us for all of that. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Arts Report for December the 8th. Yes, it is December. It is time for Christmas yet again. Where has this year gone? I don't know. Last year around this time, I was uh, planning a trip to, uh, to Scotland and Ireland, and uh, frankly, I'm a little depressed that I won't be doing that again this year. So I'm a little bit sad, but, um, but I, I'm happy because, uh, you know, Christmas is a fun time of year, even though for some reason it's, uh, it's a time of high suicide rates. I don't know why that is, but, but for me, it's a happy time, I guess because everyone expects it to be a happy time, and then, you know, for whatever reason, people aren't happy, and then they do bad things to themselves. But, uh, but luckily, I'm not in that state, and I hope you are not either. And uh, if you are feeling a little bit down, uh, hopefully we'll share some interesting events with you uh, on today's show that will brighten your mood and, um, and uh, you know, get, get you out there to, to, you know, socialize with your fellow Vancouverites in Christmas-related events. And that's, that's what it's all about, is, uh, is getting out there, getting out there and having fun. Okay, didn't realize the show was going to become a depression pep talk, but this, this is what's happened. Um, on the show today, uh, we'll be talking about a film festival for peace which includes a sort of two-day marathon session of, uh, of films. It's all for free, and uh, there's a ton of great films that explore issues of war and conflict from you know, in a first-hand point of view, the people who are in these uh, conflicts, um, you know, because this is supposed to be the time of peace and, uh, and hope. And uh, sadly, it isn't everywhere. Uh, we'll also talk about the Nutcracker, which uh, the Go Ballet is putting on, and they have crafted quite a spectacle. They've hired um, a, a famous uh, professional costume maker from China, and uh, thousands of uh, costumes have been have been shipped over. There's an amazing lighting design. There's um, a live orchestra. And um, and they've partnered up with Stanley Park, and it just it goes on and on and on. It's an epic an epic feat, and so uh, we'll tell you about that. Uh, let's see, we got Winter Harp, which is a medieval instrument show. Again, uh, on the theme of winter and the solstice, Christmas, um, you know, uh, traditional, not traditional, but uh, classical music seems to go hand in hand with, uh, with Christmas. And uh, there's going to be a performance of, of medieval instruments at uh, St. Andrew's Wesley Church. And um, I've heard a clip. It sounds absolutely amazing. And they actually use authentic instruments from the time period. Um, so that should be a really uh, a beautiful thing to check out. But, but first, uh, we'd like to tell you about uh, White Christmas. So if we can, play the, uh, the one that says clip right there. Just to get, you know, just a little bit of mood music. Let's get that going. Ah, that's more like it. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know That's Bing Crosby's White Christmas, of course, which just about everybody knows is a Christmas... Christmas Carol, but let's know that it's from a 1942 musical called Holiday Inn, and it's won, it had, it won an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Um, back for a second year is the Arts Club theatrical version of that film called White Christmas, not surprisingly. It had a sold-out run last year, and this year's limited run already boasts 21 sold-out performances. I spoke to Sarah Jean Hosey, who plays Betty Haynes, in the show about this acting, singing, tap-dancing extravaganza. Here's Sarah Jean describing the show. Well, um, there are several uh, stories within White Christmas, but um, the basic story is about a dance team, uh, Wallace and Davis, who uh, Jeffrey Victor and Todd Talbot play in the show. And in the movie, it was Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby. And... Um, they they were in the war, and they they met this general, 
and um, the story goes that they're looking for a uh, a sister act, and they end up meeting these two women at a club who sing and dance, and they ask them if they will join them in putting on this big show to support to support the general um, because he's opened this inn and the inn isn't making any money, and so it's. It's this beautiful, uh, beautiful story. Of course, there's the love that happens within it. Um, my character is very, very stiff and doesn't believe in love, as is Jeffrey Victor's character. So, you know, they're mm-hmm. match made in heaven. <laughs> and uh, Monique Lund plays my sister, and she, of course, falls for the comedic sidekick in the show. And they put on this show um, in, in an inn in Pine Tree, Vermont, to support this general. And uh, so it's a, a story of, of, you know, Christmas charity and love and friendship. Hmm. And, and the character that, that you play, like, uh, well, f- well, first off, this show requires uh, being a, a triple threat, doesn't it? You have to be able to, to act and dance and sing and everything else. It does, yeah. For, and for pretty much everyone all around. Mm-hmm. Um, my role is, um, is she's this Betty Haynes, and she's the singer she sings, and, and Judy, my sister, she, she's a dancer, so she does all the big dance numbers. So she gets a workout. I get a vocal <laughs> workout, and she gets a, <laughs> a physical workout. So I'm just curious, what's, uh, what's besides the, the, the rigorous you know, technical requirements, what's been the biggest uh, challenge um, acting-wise? The biggest challenge? I, I guess in, you know, in the sense of you know, capturing the role or that sort of thing. Um, you know, for me, the biggest challenge was the fact that um, I'm I'm quite different from this woman that I'm playing. She, um, you know, she she's afraid. She has a lot of fear about about love and about getting hurt, and so she's very guarded when she first meets these men, and um, she she's cautious about everything. She's careful, and uh, I don't tend to be, I don't tend to be like that. I tend to throw myself at things, and <laughs> I'm always up for the adventure. So. That I think has been has been the biggest uh, challenge is just finding her and finding what that feels like to be such a cautious person. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, it's also you know White Christmas the movie is it's an iconic movie. It's a lot of people's um, you know Christmas tradition to watch it with their families. So mm-hmm. knowing that you're taking on a, a role that many people have seen, like I know that Jeffrey, you know he must feel that playing Bing Crosby, and I certainly feel it playing the Rosemary Clooney role that. You want to pay homage to those actors, and you want to pay homage to the way that they play the role, but at the same time, recreate it for yourself. Hmm. So uh, I think in any of these iconic movies, that's the, that's the most challenging. And bringing it to life on, uh, life on stage, which is a completely different thing than on film. Right. Now, um, this show ran last year and was a huge hit. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. And so uh, I'm just curious, has it, has it changed at all from year to year? Have there been any tweaks or improvements? Um, well, I, I'd like to say that we're always improving. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always, there's always, we should always be growing and improving. We do have uh, three new cast members this year. We, we um, have two new male um, ensemble members who are fantastic and who learn the show so quickly. <laughs> In just a few days, they learned a ginormous amount of dance steps and notes and so they're doing really great. And we also have Alan Gray in the role of the general. Um, last year uh, it was Rajon Cornoyer. And uh, so we have a new general. And since that's such a pivotal role in the show, that definitely uh, changes the energy. And, mm. and both men brought their own, their own vision of the character, and both are, uh, have been equally, equally strong. And, and so it's nice to have Alan this year and have a change there as well. Mm-hmm. And what's next for you after White Christmas? Um, after White Christmas, I head back over to um, Chimanus, where um, at the Chimanus Theatre Festival, they're putting a closer walk with Patsy Cline. I did that last year for them. And so they're remounting for a four-week run, just if you missed it last year, come and catch it this year. So that's what I'll be doing next. And then I'll be doing, actually, um, Patsy Cline down on the, for the Arts Club next year, down on Granville Island. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, tell us about the show. Thank you so much. I'm dreaming of a white... What, we're back on the air? Oh, God. Uh, That was Sarah Jean Hosey, and White Christmas is playing at the Arts Club 
from uh, December 4th, which was uh, last week, until January the 2nd. And it's on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. That means there's a matinee every Wednesday. Uh, Thursdays at 7 p.m., Fridays at 8, Saturday at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. There's another matinee. And Sunday at 1 p.m. and 6.30, another matinee there. And tickets range from $29 to 99 bucks. And you can visit artsclub.com and find out uh, which performances are yet to sell out and, uh, and actually uh, get tickets for the remaining seats that still exist. Now, uh, I forgot to tell you at the top of the show that we have a ticket giveaway for you. We have two tickets to... Was here the Greenhorns, which are coming to Vancouver on a date that I do not know. I'll tell you later, and we'll give that uh, those tickets away later. Also, we have a Tom Lee DJ uh, workshop, DJing workshop, valued at ninety nine dollars at the Tom Lee Music Learning Center. So that's uh, that's pretty sweet. So we'll be giving that away um, soon, soon within the next half hour, I would say. So stay tuned for that. But first, let me tell you about winter harp. In the Middle Ages, musical performances were rare. Nowadays, music is in our elevators, in stores, on TV, and through iPods. It's everywhere. But back then, to go into a church and hear a choir with an organ thundering was rare and awe-inspiring. The only people who were able to listen to music whenever they pleased were nobles, kings, queens, dukes, and earls. Now you can feel like a medieval earl and hear authentic ancient instruments in Winter Harp at St. Andrew's Wesley United Church. Joaquin Ayala is a medieval instrumentalist, and we chatted about Winter Harp, but first I had to ask him about an instrument called an organistrum. Well, the organistrum is um, it's a very rare instrument. Um, I think there's only, well, there's one other one like ours uh, in Canada, uh, and it's, it's locked up in the Museum of Man in Ottawa. Um, it's, it looks like a giant guitar, and it's played by two people. And uh, on the neck of the guitar, there's these knobs that you turn, and that's what shortens the strings. And on the other end, uh, there's a fellow who's actually turning a crank, which projects out the side of this, this guitar-shaped body. And that's uh, turning a wheel, mm-hmm. which is bowing the string. So this is the, the great, great grandfather of uh, the modern hurdy gurdy. <laughs> the hurdy gurdy. And so, do you? Will you be playing this? Yes, instrument? we we have the uh, the only other one <laughs> uh-huh. in Canada. Yeah, we uh, we were very fortunate to have the maker of that one. Is this a very interesting fellow named Edward Turner. That um, he's a brilliant harpsichord builder, and well, he's he's kind of a genius, and. Um, uh, as well as harpsichords, he was a brilliant luthier, mm-hmm. and um, he he studied this carving, which is the very top, the architrave, uh, the very pinnacle of uh, the entrance to the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela mm-hmm. in Spain, and uh, had uh, high resolution photographs made, and he made an exact reproduction of it. And mm-hmm. um, after from that, um, you know, I, I saw this uh, this particular. He had pictures of the, the one he built um, for the Museum of Man. And uh, I said, well, I have to have one. So, um, unfortunately, that one's behind glass. And ours, I think, is one of the, the only ones in Canada that's actively being played. Okay, let's backtrack a little and, and tell me about what Winter Harp is. Uh, Winter Harp is uh, an ensemble specializes in uh, recreating almost a, a, an atmosphere of what a, um, like a, a medieval ensemble might have been like if they were performing for royalty in the Middle Ages. Hmm. So we have... Um, well, when we perform, we, we often perform in cathedrals uh, or churches, and, and in the cases where we play in theaters, we have uh, what I call the uh, the church in a box. We have these beautiful backdrops that are that are done in um, a oil, you know, like a trick of the eye, um, a photorealistic mm-hmm. uh, idea, so that uh, you think that you're in fact in a in a cathedral. Very often, people come up afterwards, and, and they're quite surprised to see that in fact it's it's flat because it, it looks. Right. Uh, like an optical illusion that, in fact, it, it's, uh, you know, with beautiful stained glass windows and all the stonework and tracery and so on. So um, it's a celebration of um, not just the season, but uh, the solstice, you know, that you, you've made it through the longest night of the year, and, <laughs> and there's a sense of rebirth into the new, the new year. Hmm. And do you, think, do you think these instruments give, 
I don't know, a more authentic uh, sound, you know, because like J.S. Bach or, or these mm. medieval artists, I mean, it was written for these kinds of instruments, right? Well, precisely. I mean, I, as much as I love to hear Glenn Gould um, play Bach, you know, mm. on a piano, it's absolutely wonderful and, and it's, it's, it's transcendent. At the same time, it's a little bit uh, anachronistic. I mean, uh, J uh, Glenn Gould, for instance, owned a harpsichord and, in fact, would very often rehearse the pieces on the harpsichord so that he could get some of the nuance of the harpsichord uh, when he played the piano. But, yes, uh, um, to, to hear these sounds, uh, they're, they're, it's, they're very different. You know, they're, they're much more mellow, um, whereas normal... Um, Orchestral instruments are tuned at a higher pitch, A440, mm -hmm. and they're far more piercing because they were intended to be played into um, uh, sort of like larger large venues, venues yeah. yeah, concert halls. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the Middle Ages, music, uh, we take this for granted now, it's ubiquitous. Music is everywhere for us. It's in elevators. I mean, you, you can't, it's, it's like a curse. It's <laughs> yeah. Eric Satie. It's, 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 it's horrible. The patron saint of Muzak, Eric Satie, made music <laughs> so you could actually talk on top of it. But in, in the Middle Ages, and in fact, Right up to maybe even the uh, 18th and early 19th century, listen, hearing music was a relatively rare phenomenon that was more um, the upper class and, mm -hmm. and people that had money. And, and yes, there would be people in pubs and public houses that would play and so on like that, but to hear compositions, symphonic pieces and so on, relatively rare, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. There was ecclesiastical music, you'd go to church, and, you'd, you know, the entire purpose of a cathedral is a machine to convert people. You, 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 you know, these people that would live in these dingy little uh, dark recesses with uh, very dirty light, if they had any light at all, and, mm -hmm. and they were dressed very shabbily, and the stench was unbelievable because they lived with their animals. And all of a sudden, you transpose them into a Gothic cathedral with these big, giant walls of beautiful glass mm. and these beautiful celestial sounds of pipe organs with, with multiple registers. I mean, of course they would think that they've, uh, this is a representation of heaven on earth. Right. You know, it, was, it was just such a rut. I mean, even now, um, you know, cathedrals like Chartres and so on mm -hmm. can't help but overwhelm us because they're so amazing. But just imagine uh, in those days uh, when people lived in such crude conditions, you know, it's, uh, it's a huge, huge jump. Hmm. Hmm. It was a great... Uh Great selling tool for the church, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, like I say, we, uh, we, we play, uh, I like to play medieval instruments because the sound is mellower, it's more inviting, it's intended for a much more intimate audience, and now, with, with the wonders of modern amplification, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is just it, that we, we are very careful about that because we, yeah. uh, we want to still maintain that acoustic sound. So, yeah, Winterharp, by definition, has always played unplugged. Mm -hmm. But, um, yes, of course, we, we do have uh, microphones and, and so on, so that mm. the sound is as... as uh, 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 but that's just that we, we really don't like that heavily processed. Uh, mm. So it's, it's a, a very fine line that we, we walk. That we, want, uh, we want our sound to be as intimate as possible, even if we're playing for 2,000 people. Thanks very much for taking the time to uh, tell us about the show. Hey, you're most welcome. And that's Joaquin Ayala talking about Winter Harp, which just wrapped up its first shows of uh, first show of the season in Winnipeg, and um, and uh, one response to the show in Winnipeg. This is just a this is just a random fellow who saw the show, and I'll read it to you. Being the rock and roll kind of guy that I am, my girlfriend had to drag me kicking and screaming to your troupe's recent performance here in Winnipeg. At the time, I could have named half a dozen things, shoveling the sidewalk, clipping my dog's toenails, etc., that I would rather be doing than being locked in an old downtown theater for two hours listening to fairy music. <laughs> <laughs> Three days later, it would be impossible for me to shower you and your winter harp troupe with any more deserving accolades than you've already received. Suffice it to say, your harp playing left my knees weak and my mind spellbound. Never have I experienced such visual grace coupled with such strength and finesse. So, that's one person's opinion of, uh, of winter harp. And pretty, pretty ringing endorsement. So if you want to check it out, it's one night only uh, at St. Andrew's Wesley Church. And that's Saturday, December the 18th. That's next Saturday at 7.30 p.m. And you can get tickets at tickets2night.ca. You can get them at Zulu Records or Celtic Creations. And uh, there's actually one other 
uh, performance of Winter Harp, and that's at Capilano University in North Vancouver, and that's on December the 15th and the 16th, so there's actually three opportunities to see Winter Harp, not one, uh, and those are both at 7.30 p.m. You can go to our website, citr.ca, and you, can, and you can get the links to all the various ticket purchasing places or just uh, links to the websites of these um, of the features that we have on today's show. That's citr.ca and get uh, all the scoop there. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll uh, tell you, we'll kind of stray a little from the, the very, very hardcore Christmas-specific theme and, uh, and tell you about some upcoming general events, and then uh, we'll go back to Christmas with the, the Nutcracker. Um, so, so stay with us. Marie Bernard, host of Synchronicity, Friday mornings at 9. Join me as we explore topics like health and wellness, prosperity, inner peace, the law of attraction, and more. Tap into good vibrations to start your weekend feeling uplifted and optimistic. Synchronicity, talk radio for your mind, body, and soul. Fridays from 9 to 10 a.m. on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. Hey, you're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM or at citr.ca or perhaps through our podcast, which you can subscribe to right from our website at citr.ca. Okay, the Vancouver International Film Festival for Peace hopes to bring awareness of the realities and iniquities of war. From the first-hand storytelling medium of film, with a unique collection of documentary and feature films. Janine Solansky is the festival's coordinator and a member of its organizing group called Mobilization Against War and Occupation. Janine gives us a peek at some of the films being featured, but first I asked her to tell us what Mobilization Against War and Occupation is all about. Great, so Mobilization Against War and Occupation, MAO, uh, came together about seven years ago, and uh, we have since been organizing uh, very consistently. We do a lot of different events throughout the year, uh, against primarily against the war in Afghanistan, but also um, Iraq, Palestine, Haiti. Um, really, we've come together under the demand of self-determination for all oppressed nations. And so we organize everything from... Uh, rallies and picket actions to forums and conferences and educational events to festivals like our annual hip-hop festival for peace and coming up soon is our film festival for there, peace there you go and that's a perfect segue so tell me uh what, what is the day of uh, festivities what does it include so we have two days of films um and this is our eighth annual also by the way so mm-hmm. It's very uh, exciting to be going into eight years of this festival, um, but of course we'd like to have an end to war and have no more of these festivals <laughs> as right. much as we enjoy doing them. Um, but we have two days which are jam-packed of really a huge array of films. This is like we have 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. worth of films, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a very long day. We encourage people to to bring a pillow and get comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what are some of the films that are being featured? Give me some examples. Well, we have, uh, basically, we try and cover a really wide range. Um, Everything from what Canada, the U.S., um, what these countries are doing abroad, like in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, Iraq, Palestine, um, to what's happening in Latin America, how these countries are intervening. Um, and uh, threatening the sovereignty of countries in Latin America to what's happening here at home, what these governments are doing to us, to indigenous nations, to poor and working people. Mm-hmm. So um, some of the featured films this year, one is called The Pentagon Papers, mm-hmm. uh, which is a film uh, from 2003, but definitely very relevant for what's going on now. Uh, This film documents basically um, the life and relevations of Daniel Ellsberg, who released the Pentagon Papers during the Vietnam War. And he was uh, um, a top official in the Pentagon and released, photocopied, 
and released thousands of pages of documents. Mm, similar um, to uh, what's happening now with WikiLeaks. Exactly. So it's a good, uh, it's a good parallel to draw um, and very relevant for what's happening right now with the WikiLeaks releases. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's one film that people see, uh, which one would that, that be? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's a difficult one. Um, I mean, really, we, I couldn't really say one film. Mm -hmm. um, some other films that I would highlight are a film, is a film called Silent Screams, which is a documentary about a U.S. woman who traveled to Iran and um, experienced U.S. drone attacks um, in northern Iran uh, that also target Pakistan and Afghanistan and um, her experiences uh, in her travels hmm. um, and against the, the U.S. aggression towards Iran and Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, as well as there's Bringing It Home, um, there's a film called Trouble the Water, uh, which is about how the Hurricane uh, Katrina affected people in New Orleans um, before it kind of documents the lives of these people before, mm -hmm. during, and after Katrina, and really how they saw how the government of the U.S. really abandoned and showed how it, it doesn't take care of these people, doesn't take care of its own people. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the goal of, of these events that you put on is. Is it to sort of um, keep the idea of peace or sort of anti-war? Is, is it to keep that idea sort of uh, in the forefront of people's minds? Or are you hoping to, you know, that, that people will walk out of the theater at the end of these days and, and get mobilized? What, what, is, what, what do you hope uh, to achieve? Well, I definitely hope people will see these films and think, wow, you know, all of this is going on around the world. All this, uh, this very brutal war and occupation that the government of Canada itself is taking a very large part in. Um, as people might, must know recently, uh, Canada extended their war in Afghanistan from 2011, their previous end date to 2014. This is something that people in Canada really need to be involved in. And so the film festival is really a way for people to get more information from a very human perspective, to really see through the eyes of a young woman in Iraq who is looking taking care of her children and not able to get them enough food because of the poverty that the war and occupation has brought. Mm -hmm. Or see through the eyes of a soldier in Afghanistan who realizes that he's not there to help, but is there killing innocent people. Mm -hmm. And so we want to give people an opportunity to really see for themselves what is happening around the world, see it through this very powerful and artistic medium of film. All right, and that was Janine Solanke. I think I said Solansky before. Apologies for that. Uh, okay, so the Film Festival for Peace is December 18th and 19th from 11 a.m. until 9 p.m. on both days, and it's free at the Britannia Community Center Auditorium, which is uh, on Napier Street at Commercial Drive. Commercial Drive. Um, and you can get more information and a full festival lineup of all the films at the website, which is www dot film festival for peace with the number four uh, dot blogspot dot com that's film festival for peace dot blogspot dot com or go to uh, citr dot ca and there is a link right there from our website to theirs uh, and you can get more information there okay so we'd like to give you some uh, tickets to greenhorns and um, because they're, uh, they're a cool band, and uh, they're playing a show. And uh, let's see, December the 12th, they will be playing at the Media Club. So we'd like to give you uh, two tickets that you can uh, pick up just uh, at the door the night of December the 12th. So if you'd like those tickets, give us a call right now to 604-822-2487. That's 604-822-2487. 
And that was Greenhorns with Better Off Without It. And they will be playing a show on December the 12th at the Media Club. All right. Brief Encounter started as a play about forbidden love in World War II-era England. In 1946, it was made into a film which is still recognized as one of the best British films ever made. Well, a few years ago, an English director named Emma Rice revived this story for the 21st century, winning a ton of awards in the process. It's playing right now on Broadway in New York, and it's also playing right here in Vancouver at the Playhouse. So we got in touch with Max Reimer, the director of the Vancouver production of Brief Encounter, who gave us the details of how this modern classic has been reimagined for modern audiences, which is something that the Playhouse has been doing all season with shows like The Fantastics and Dangerous Corner. Here's Max Reimer explaining the evolution of Brief Encounter. Yeah, it was uh, Brief Encounter was a, a film that came out uh, many years ago. It's uh, it's originally written by Noah Coward as a play called Still Life. So Still Life became Brief Encounter. Uh, the play became a movie. Now it's been reverted back to a play, and this is a concept brought by. Uh, Emma Rice from the Knee High production in in Cornwall in England, and it's uh, she's what she's done is she's brought all these innovative techniques into it, so it's uh, it's a real hybrid of uh, sort of movie and uh, stage techniques all brought together in this sort of fun uh, representation of this classic piece. Interesting. So, can you give us a, an example of that? Well, they actually walk through screens at one point. Sometimes the actors are in a scene with live actors and also talking to people on the screen. And then at halfway through, the actor will actually walk through the screen and now be, uh, be visually there in, 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 uh, in the movie version of themselves. Okay. So uh, that, that kind of thing. I mean, they also there's all kinds of stage fun, like they swing from chandeliers, like the Noel Coward songs talk about. Okay. And the other part of it is a lot, what, what they've done in this concept is they've added a lot of music. A lot of no, Noel Coward wrote music, as many people know, but this, this very creative company in Cornwall added a lot of original music and Noel Coward music and Noel, Noel Coward uh, songs now reorchestrated. So that kind of stuff is all going on. Hmm. Now, is this is this um, does it have any Christmas connection at all? It you know only in that it's a lot of fun yeah. uh, for the family and and uh, now at the core of it it's a story of you know deep romance and 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 impossible love, mm-hmm. but uh, the all around it is just a riot. There's uh, there's elements of music hall in it. Uh, there's lots of direct audience. Talk. They, there's music that goes on before and uh, uh, the show, and then during the intermission. So it's it's got a real sort of festive, fun feel. Uh, and that, like like the you know the drowsy chaperone had that kind of feel. It doesn't actually have a Christmas tree in it, but uh, it's it's a lot of sort of festival fun. Now, do I detect a, a sort of a, a theme? Because uh, with with some of the Playhouse shows uh, this year, there, there's kind of a a kind of um, I don't know how to describe it, like a, a throwback to the past, but with a with a modern twist. 
Exactly. I think one of the things that uh, the Playhouse has been known to do, like we want to be a window to the world for theater. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, we want to see local voices. Some of the shows we've been doing are new productions. Uh, but we also love to take uh, themes and ones that really resonate as, as, as modern classics and treat them up new and give them some real spice. And this, this show is the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. And, and why is that? Is, is it because people are sort of uh, forgetting these things, you know, in the Internet age that everyone thinks, you know, if it doesn't have a, a reference to Facebook in it, it's not, it's not modern? <laughs> I think what, what it is is we connect to the, the important thing about theater is that it helps you connect to yourself. But in connecting, we're social beings, and I think mm-hmm. the more we can connect to not just our local community, but the, the whole world has beautiful messages and images and thoughts and emotions. And I think that this is, this is the power of, of theater, to look through the portal uh, into the whole world. And uh, this is why I think classics uh, resonate, uh, whether it be Shakespeare or Arthur Miller, or in this case, Noel Coward. These themes are, are fantastic. And I think that that's something that the Playhouse has done well for 40, 48 years. And I'm really proud of this because I feel it's a continuation of that tradition. Hmm. Now, I just want to also ask you about um, what you've done with the, is it the recital hall or yeah, rehearsal you know, there's, hall? Yeah, this beautiful little recital hall. Mm-hmm. seats about 100 people. It's right below the stage at the, um, at the, uh, at the, at the playhouse. And uh, it, it's been dormant because um, it's a little tricky to program in terms of time. Um, you know, the, the, there's the, the sound carries between the two theaters, but we thought, well, we can, we can do that. We can be uh, smart. So with the city of Vancouver uh, fully supporting, supporting us in doing this, we're, um, we're now putting on shows in this uh, little recital hall. Vancouver needs more performance space, and there's millions of creative companies here and a lot of great creative energy, but they just haven't had enough space to put it on. So this is, I feel fantastic we've been able to add to the inventory of space in Vancouver by reanimating this with uh, small plays. We've got uh, two have gone on there so far, and we've got a few more planned. So Hmm. it's uh, really going to be a lot of fun to have another performance space added in Vancouver. Great. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to tell us about uh, both of those spaces. Hey, terrific. Well, thanks. Thanks to you, and I hope uh, people come down for the holidays. This will be a lot of fun. All right, and that was Max Reimer telling us about Brief Encounter at the Vancouver Playhouse. It's running now until December 23rd. Tickets range from $37 to $65. And actually on the website, they have a, a food deal. That is to say, if you buy tickets, you get 10% off uh, restaurants that are in the area of the Playhouse, including uh, Moxie's, Shambar, uh, high tea at the Hotel Vancouver and uh, a ton of other really swanky restaurants. You get t- 10% off. Some restaurants have it before the show and after the show, which is a pretty sweet deal. So you can find out more about that at vancouverplayhouse.com or at citr.ca, where we have info on all the features on today's show. We're going to move right along now to uh, Pacific Cinematheque which has a ton of great films during the month of December. Well, they always have great shows, but this month they have uh, a lot. And uh, we here at the Arts Report thought we should spotlight Vancouver's favorite indie film theater. So here's Arts Report correspondent Nahum Mann talking about how among the random batch of eight films from now until December the 23rd is a series celebrating the works of Portuguese director Miguel Gomez. And so this is called The Magical Musical Metafictional Imagination <laughs> wow. of uh, Miguel Gomez. Um, and it's actually all of his works, mm-hmm. which is um, two feature films and a collection of five short films. Okay, let's talk about the, the feature films. What are they? Um, okay, the first one's uh, called The Face You Deserve. Um, it's a two-part musical, um, and actually the second part uh, is sort of a grown-up adult retelling of Lord of the Flies, sort mm. of, just following a group of 30-year-old men living in a childish cabin in the woods. I see. Yes. Um, and the other one is called uh, Our Beloved Month of August, and um, this is sort of a multi-layered film following... Um, a sort of adventurous musical family in Portugal, but it's also sort of looking at the Portuguese countryside and lifestyle, as well as actually following sort of the chaotic production of the movie itself. So it's kind of like a, a film within a film. 
Yeah. Because yeah. They, they, they chronicle the making of the film, right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sort of. Yeah. And reflect sort of the, uh, I guess, the chaotic experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, and then uh, what are these collection of shorts? Um, five short films um, with a whole variety of themes to them. Um, one is sort of a, a short film about Francis of Assisi. Um, and then there's another one, uh, sort of documentary style, about uh, tennis mm -hmm. and about a PlayStation soccer craze. <laughs> so sort of a whole mix, mix bag there. Hmm. Yeah. Very nice. Okay, and uh, how about some other films that are not connected to this director? Um, okay, The Portuguese Nun. Um, this is a movie by New York director Eugene Green and uh, follows a young French actress um, who goes to Lisbon to film a movie based on a 17th century book called Letters of a Portuguese Nun. And so while she's there, um, sort of wandering the streets and all this, she actually becomes enchanted, they say, by a young nun that she finds uh, praying in a church. Okay, cool. Yeah. And another? Um, Here's a really cool one, uh, The Kings of Pastry. Mm -hmm. This sounds really interesting. It's actually by um, Chris Hegedus and D.A. Pennenbaker, and they're pretty big wigs in the documentary film they did, Don't Look Back, the Bob Dylan documentary. Um, and this is being called The Culinary Hurt Locker. <laughs> so um, it's actually based around the Miller Ovires de France. Probably didn't Let's go with that. that. <laughs> and... Uh, these are considered the Olympics of pastry, uh -huh. so um, it's supposed to be a high-paced, on-the-edge-of-your-seat as they're following some finalists mm. in the competition. The explosive drama in the kitchen. Yes. Cool. Whisking, mixing, and icing <laughs> on their way to the top. Dangerous, dangerous activities Can at be. the best of times. Yes. All right, thanks very much. No problem. And that's Nahum Mann telling us about Pacific Cinema Tech. Which is also the website cinematech.bc.ca. Tickets are ten fifty for one show or for two shows. Uh, you only have to pay twelve dollars and fifty cents. So go to cinematech.bc.ca for more information or just citr.ca. If you can't spell cinematech, go to citr.ca. Find the link there, and uh, you'll get to see all the films and all the descriptions and dates and all that good stuff. We are pressed for time, so we're going to keep right on rocking. Uh, last year, MTV had a contest to spoof a scene from a Quentin Tarantino film called Tarantino's Bastards. The Granger Brothers won with a spoof of the scene from Pulp Fiction talking about Royale with cheese. They did it as two Frenchmen talking about what they call, what they call a Royale with cheese in America. Now the brothers are focused on another project called the Charlie the Clown Show. So here's Nick Panu to tell us more. Right now we're standing here with Mikey Granger and Charlie the Clown. Yeah, basically what we've done is we've put together online. We've got, we've gone online. We've gone out to all our friends, family, fans, and stuff like that. From we did, we did this big thing with MTV last year where we where Quentin Tarantino and MTV put on this big like contest about spoofing a Tarantino scene. So we won this thing, and we ended up on MTV last year and doing this spoof contest and this and that and the other thing, and uh, it led us to led us to like a lot of success and a lot of notoriety around. And basically, what we ended up doing was saying like, let's make our own TV show. And we took two of our characters that we created about probably five years ago. These two guys, Charlie and Sprinkles, who are rat, ex Rat Pack clowns. Who they're, they're clowns, but they're ex Rat Pack guys, all class, looking for ass and. You know what I mean? Coming at you. And coming at you strong. Uh, but going back to the plot, the, the, the theme, one of the clowns are both, they, they're secluded for a while, then they come back. Basically what it is, is it's going to be a sort of a business as usual night on the set. And it's a... Episode one. It's episode one. 20. Yeah, it's episode one of season 20. Um, everything seems to be going as normal, but something goes terribly wrong and the show goes from being like a broadcast um, it goes from being a broadcast um, talk show like you would see Letterman or something like that or like like a what's the Carson you know you'd watch those shows it goes from being that to suddenly being like okay here's the reality of what's going on but 
behind the stage as well. Yeah. So it's kind of like a Larry Sanders show in that oh, way. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, cool. So it's like, here's what's going on up front, and then all of a sudden something goes terribly wrong, and here's what's going on backstage, and here's how they solve this problem. And the way they solve the problem might not be as... Uh, Christian. Christian as <laughs> one would hope, yeah. yeah. I think that's a way to look at it, yeah, yeah. definitely. How does that whole dynamic play out, you guys being brothers? Is there a certain advantage to that? You guys know each other so well, so maybe it allows you to work a certain way. Oh. Uh, you know each other's strengths and weaknesses. Does it also create tension at times um, on set? Since, since we've been very young, we've criticized each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we've always had a, a bizarre relationship as brothers. A lot of people don't understand. Like, We are best friends. We are brothers. We are co-workers. It's a really weird relationship we have that I, I know a lot of brothers don't have oh. um, I've learned everything I've learned from him oh, okay. from his because he's old and he's done a lot of stuff but no he, he's he's had he's had 12 15 years in the film industry and everything he's learned from his superiors he's passed down to me oh, okay. and we've got such a good working relationship where a problem will arise in the screenwriting and we don't look at it as a problem. We look at it as a chance to do something creative yeah. and fun yeah. and just go, okay, well, this this doesn't work. Let's go and do some rock and roll and do this. And it didn't, and it, it didn't take much to get there either. Like, it wasn't like we had to, like, figure out our relationship. It was just our relationship was there and it just worked. Oh. And, it was, and that was it. It was just like a, a machine that just worked the first time you did it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, um... We we don't argue about shit. If if something I write stinks, yeah. he is more than happy to go, dude. That stinks, and I'm more than happy to go. Okay, why does it stink? He'll tell me why it stinks, and then we fix it. And 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 there's no offense there. There's no there's no weird there's no weirdness. There's no like there's no ego, and there's no. And I think that that's the success of it is that there's no ego in what we do. It's at all. Like, even, like, and, and, and we take that relationship with each other and take it into our professional relationships with our director and our other actors, and we say, like, okay, treat this the way you would treat it if if Mikey was criticizing something Matt wrote or vice versa. You know, we look at our director or our other guys like that as well, and we say, like, and it, and it actually helps our relationships with others saying, like, you know what I mean? Like tra taking that same attitude and putting it onto other people. We 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 really believe that creative creativity is a collaborative art. Yeah. So you can sit there and create something, but unless you get outside input, that might make it better. Yeah. Totally. Why why would you turn away that? So yeah. it's you surround yourself with people who understand the project, like yeah. our director Gary and our line producer and our our yeah. our art designer, and. They all understand the project, and we're all willing to concede the the fight and say you're right. And it's, and it's not an ego thing. It's it's. No. I think I think that that's the that's greatest success you'll find here is that there's no ego in it. Like no one, like not a single one of the people involved in this has brought any of their own ego to it. It's you know I get ten emails a day from my director that are like, hey, what do you guys think? And sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no, and. You know, sometimes my no is overruled with everybody else's yeses, and it means nothing. It means the project's going to be awesome. You know, it means we're going to do better, and it's great. Is there a link the listeners can go to if they yeah. like more information? And and look up uh, the Charlie the Clown show. It's it's um, Indiegogo.com the slash the dash Charlie dash Clown the no duh d yeah. I don't even know. It's so hard <laughs> to say. Charlie dash duh d a so clown. Can I can't do it you either. It's weird. Either. Charlie Duck Clown. You know what? Yeah. You, the other thing is there's a Facebook group. If you look up the Facebook group, uh, The Granger Bros, B-R-O-S, yeah. you will find us very, very easily. Very, very easily. Uh, listen, we were just speaking to... Matt Granger. Charlie the Clown. Mikey Granger. Spankles. For... The Charlie the Clown Show. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Uh, it's it's going to blow them away. Thanks for your time. Thank you, sir. Thanks, dude. Thanks so much. That's awesome. 
Uh, that's Nick Panu talking to some uh, creepy, crazy clowns. Okay, there's a premiere charity screening of the Charlie the Clown Show, directed by Gary Hawes, playing it uh, on December the 14th at the Van City Theater. Doors are at 7 p.m., and the screenings are at 8, 9, and 10 p.m. Tickets are 10 bucks, and the proceeds go to the Canuck, Canucks Place Children's Hospice. Which is also uh, children's host- the Canucks Canuck place is also the place where uh, the Nutcracker, the Go Ballets, the Nutcracker, uh, they are doing a special dress rehearsal, um, which is also going to benefit uh, Canuck Place, and we'll tell you about that a bit later in the show. But first, we're going to take a quick little breaky break, and uh, and and when we return, we'll tell you about um, an exhibition called Violet's Hair. So stay with us. Thanks to everyone who made a donation to Fundrive 2010. Your continued support of CITR shows that there are people out there looking for something different on the dial. A station not concerned with commercial or mainstream content, but rather programming that covers every conceivable genre of music. Programming that shines a light on exciting local talent. Programming focusing on Canadian content and gender balance that doesn't include Celine, Avril, or Shania. Thank you for donating to FunDrive 2010. And we're back on the Arts Report. Modernist artist Elizabeth McIntosh has an exhibition at the Contemporary Art Gallery called Violet's Hair. According to the website, the title Violet's Hair alludes to something concrete. It denotes a subject and specifies an attitude. But who is Violet and what are the qualities of her hair? It also references a color, but this color is not characteristic to the work in the exhibition. Yet the seemingly elusive title still offers some keys to Elizabeth McIntosh's process. So Art Support correspondent Jasmine Thomas checked it out, and we sat down in Studio B here at CITR to discuss it. Here's Jasmine starting off describing, for the benefit of listeners, what do you see in the gallery. They will see a lot of geometric shapes and very open spaces. Okay. We were saying uh, before we came on air that there was one piece that uh, had artwork on it and then another one laid on top of it and then another on top. What was that about? Well, it was... um, She would paint one picture on the canvas and then she would do another one on top but not uh, dark enough that it covers the other one. Mm -hmm. And then she'd do another one on top so that there was layered images on the canvas mm-hmm. and in the end was it did it look like a big mishmash no because it was geometric sh- shapes as opposed to faces because if i took your f- picture of your face and put it on top of mine of course that would look strange but <laughs> geometric shapes it's a little bit different because if i put a triangle on top of a square it doesn't look as strange it right. just looks like a, a construct so it just adds complexity yes Rather than because our faces would be strange, would just be so hideous. Yes, the two of our faces, it'd be so ugly. <laughs> ouch! Um, ouch to both of us. Um, and um, what do you think the the purpose of that was? Like this one in particular, the one of, of layering. I think it was meant to show the doubt and uncertainty in creating a piece of artwork, and how there's a lot of trial and error when you create it, because you don't really know when you start what it's going to look like, and there's always that process of editing. Not so much like editing on a piece of paper with mm-hmm. when you write an essay, lots of red marks, but editing in the sense that it kind of your ideas change and flow as mm-hmm. you create the artwork. And I think that's what she wanted to show because she left what was behind in order to help it help her next piece mm. improve upon the last one. Would you say that that for any artist that's that's one of the most sort of grueling aspects of is deciding when you're when you're done? Yeah. I think that's what a sketchbook is for is to help that process be more um easy to achieve right because you you do all the sketches and then when you make the painting you just take it off of your last sketch mm-hmm. and the the end result is more predictable mm-hmm. whereas i think her sketch pad was the canvas right so right? she's taking that sketch pad that's usually sort of private and you keep that for yourself and before you make the art and yeah. she's making it the art yes huh interesting so what do you think of it i thought it was really great I love modern art, and I think that it also showed an aspect of predictability, which we don't get a lot in life. Computers are unpredictable. Buses are unpredictable. <laughs> Certainly are. <laughs> so everything is unpredictable, and she um, she made it predictable with her patterns and her shapes, and there's some sort of set of rules that she was following. Hmm. Now, is this something you might want to take home and, and put in your dining room? Um, I would. Yeah. But would you? 
I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing because uh, you I, don't like I, I rant art. about modern art and, and how it sometimes looks like a booger <laughs> on the street. And uh, but no, to be to be to be honest, I I had a look at some of the pictures at the Contemporary Art Gallery uh, website, and uh, it was aesthetically pleasing. It it is. I think her which it cannot be said for much of modern art. Well, no. I, I do agree with you. Some of it is um, booger on the street. Booger-esque? <laughs> yes. Okay, and tell me um, what, tell me about the space. Tell me, what did you think of the Contemporary Art Gallery? I think it was a beautiful space for an art gallery. It was uh, very monochrome, which is nice, because then it makes the colors of the artwork show a lot more. Mm -hmm. And it had a very tall walls, as in, I think they're about two, two stories high. And oh, wow. So there's a lot of space. Mm -hmm. And I think that that space could be used really well mm -hmm. for a lot of different types of artwork. Mm -hmm. That's good. And uh, and contemporary art is something that that you'd recommend for people, who, you know. Well, of course, because that's why are we worshiping people that are dead when we could worship someone that's alive, like a contemporary artist who does a really wonderful job. I mean, there's something to appreciate in old art, but then there's also a lot to appreciate in new art, and we kind of forget about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Jasmine Thomas for uh, that one. Uh, there's a public conversation with Elizabeth McIntosh on Friday, December the 10th at 7 p.m. at the Contemporary Art Gallery. Uh, we have a little picture up of one of, the, of her pieces at CITR.ca. If you want to see more of uh, the featured artwork to get an idea of what the heck we were talking about, you can go to contemporaryartgallery.ca. And that conversation with the artist, again, is on Friday, December the 10th at 7 p.m. And the gallery is located at 555 Nelson Street. And for anybody out there who does enjoy booger art, there's a lovely example of it on uh, Georgia and Granville. It's a, it's a large, monochromatic metal booger. Okay, we've got one more story for you before we run off. Hopefully we won't be punished by the radio police for going a bit overtime. And that's uh, the Nutcracker. National Ballet of Canada dancers, lavish costumes from the other side of the world, gymnasts, a live score, and a giant mouse king, all of which are featured in the Go Ballet presentation of the Nutcracker at the Centre for Performing Arts in downtown Vancouver. Chan Han Go, the director of the Go Ballet Academy, is busily preparing for the next week's for next week's opening. But she found a few minutes to talk about not only the Nutcracker run at the center, but also a partnership with Stanley Park's Bright Nights and a special charity dress rehearsal for the kids at Canuck Place Children's Hospice. With, uh, with so much going on, I didn't know where to begin our interview. So I said to Chan, "I don't know where to begin," and here's her answer. We have a lot happening, and we're just, you know, really our our goal and our um, pride with our Nutcracker is to have the community involvement and to give back um, to um, the city. So, um, you know, when we were asked to partner with Stanley Park um, at the Bright uh, Nights, um, which they do every year, we thought it would be a terrific way um, to not only introduce the Nutcracker to people perhaps that um, wouldn't know of it, but to also um, let people know that it is so much a part of Christmas celebrations mm -hmm. and uh, just um, uh, to know what we're doing. Um, but really close to my heart is um, to be able to share um, the various aspects of the art form and the dancing mm -hmm. with um, children that are at the Canuck Hospice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, uh, I know that they wouldn't be able to sit through um, a performance which is about two hours in length. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know even, um, you know, getting them sometimes um, out of the hospital takes um, a lot of care and thought and so um, I spoke with the people there and had a tour of their wonderful um, home and uh, facilities and mm -hmm. just thought you know we really wanted to bring the dancing uh, to them so we're having this special um, dress rehearsal for um, about 15 um, sick children uh, from the hospice that's amazing. That's wonderful. And yeah. about the show itself, um, it's quite an it's quite an epic. <laughs> yes. And I, and I mean not only the the content, but the the production in terms of the, the costumes and all the dancers. Can you give me a sense of like the grand scale of this? 
for sure. Well, really, it was three years in the making, our Nutcracker, um, and the biggest show um, in our 32-year history of the Go Ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite an international array of people contributed to this Nutcracker. Um, the sets and costumes were designed and made in China uh, and then shipped over. Um, our costume designer is um, really well known in China and has done a lot of film and work with um, professional dance companies in China. So we were really excited when she made herself available to do um, gosh, I think there's over 200 costumes wow. uh, in the entire show. So, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot to um, design and a lot to then get sewn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, our set designer is also very well established and known in the um, dance industry and has designed many different um, dance uh, sets for uh, the companies in China. So, again, um, you know, work together with our choreographer, Anna-Marie Holmes, who actually went to China um, in the spring of 2009 to um, share her visions and to work collaboratively with the designers. Mm-hmm. Um, then myself coming back from the National Ballet and, you know, coordinating everything, hiring the principal dancers, hiring the orchestra and um you know, in charge of coordinating everybody's schedules, um, and as you said, it's an epic. So you can just imagine the the amount of work, you know, um, to to look after so many, and it's it's really important that um, everybody involved um, gets a lot out of it. It's mm-hmm. it's a ballet that we want to see the young students grow and be able to meet various challenges in their stages of development, but also to um, have them share the stage with such renowned dance artists um, of our times, you know, like, and again, this year, each year is a little different. So this year we have principals with the um, uh, Pacific Northwest Ballet Mm -hmm. uh, premiering with us on the 16th. And then on the weekend, the 18th and 19th, we have principal dancers from the National Ballet. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the Stanley Park uh, component, how does that, how will it actually play out? Um, well, that is just um, a little sampling. We have um, a reel, um, so anybody passing by our Nutcracker display will get a little sampling of, um, you know, what the dancing is all about, and they will have their chance to um, get their photograph taken mm. um uh, by placing their faces in these cutouts. So you could be a prima ballerina or you could be Clara, you know, if you just go up to the Nutcracker display. <laughs> uh, that's probably my only chance to be a pr- uh, prima ballerina. <laughs> I'd like to see you do that for us. <laughs> yeah. And um, Well, um, thanks so much for uh, being back on the show. We, we just had you a, a few weeks ago. You've, you've become a regular on the Arts Report, so we, uh, we appreciate I it. I really appreciate the interest and it's always it's a pleasure to speak with you. And that was Chan Han Go, who is the director of the Go Ballet Academy. And let me give you the details of the Nutcracker. It's, uh, where is it? Aha! It's uh, next week, December 16th until the 19th at 7.30 p.m. And tickets range from $35 to $90.00. And they can be found at either ticketmaster.ca or you can go to our website, citr.ca, and there is a link that will take you directly to the Ticketmaster page for the Go uh, Ballet. So that's December 16th until the 19th. And um, the Bright Nights uh, train thing, Christmas extravaganza at Stanley Park, is running until uh, January the 2nd uh, from 3 p.m. until 10 p.m. daily, closed on Christmas Day. And the Children's Farmyard closes at uh, at 9 p.m. daily. And tickets for that are $9 for adults, 6 for children and youth and seniors. And are also available at ticketmaster.ca or at Stanley Park itself. All right, so uh, this is the end of our program. Before we go, I want to make a few quick announcements. Uh, the Push Festival is coming in just a matter of weeks, and you can uh, buy the flexible Push Pass, Industry Pass, or Assembly 
registration. If you do that before 5 p.m. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, December 9th, you can get early bird pricing. So early bird pricing available for flexible push pass and other passes for the push festival, but only until uh, tomorrow at the early bird rate. So check that out. Also, there is a show um, for a band called Brethren. And uh, I believe it's tonight at 8 p.m. at J Lounge, which is on Butte. Uh, I think it's Butte and Davy, and it's free. And it's reggae, good old reggae music uh, with drinks and projections and, uh, and good times to be had at J Lounge, which is on uh, Butte. And I think that's just off of Davy, if I am uh, not mistaken. So check out the Brethren, Yaman. Also, I want to uh, congratulate the winners of the ticket giveaways that we had today. Uh, that includes Mary Lee and uh, Rachel. Rachel actually called in when we were giving tickets away to the Greenhorns and asked for the DJ, uh, DJ training, DJ workshop. And um, so I feel bad that we didn't uh, announce uh, that on the air. So uh, let's give away another, another uh, DJ training uh, package from Tom Lee. So if you'd like that, uh, when I've wrapped up the show, give me give me a ring ding here at uh, 604-822-2487 and, um, and I will sign you up for the DJ workshop. Yeah. So next week we'll have more uh, part two of our Christmas Christmas extravaganza and we'll tell you about two, not one, but two Christmas carol uh, shows based on a Christmas carol um, and we'll also tell you about something called Off-White Christmas and um, and a music show, a 30 live music show that will uh, also double as a food bank fundraiser so um, join us for that next week uh, alright, so it's been a pleasure this has been the Arts Report with uh, your host Adam Janusz and uh, we'll be back Wednesday at 5 uh, you can subscribe to our podcast if you can't hear us at 5, or if you missed any of today's features and want to to see what we covered, you can go to citr.ca, and in that blog post, uh, the first the first one on the front page, you will see all the features that we've had today, all the various links, and uh, right from that page, you can subscribe to our podcast, as well as sign up to our uh, uh, Twitter feed and become followers of us, which is great because uh, we send out little announcements uh, every day to to give you a heads up about uh, about the shows that we've we've uh, the events that we've covered on the show and uh, and other interesting artsy events in Vancouver. So it's actually it's actually quite nice to be, if I do say so myself, to be on the uh, Arts Report Twitter feed. So. Uh, I'll shut up now. Uh, just a quick uh, thank you to uh, Simon, Jeannie, Nick, Jasmine, and Nahum for helping me produce this week's show. You are listening to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. And uh, coming up next is something called Stanley Park as part of the 24 hours of spoken word hell going on until tomorrow morning here at CITR. So uh, thanks for listening. And um, and stick around. And we want to be free to ride our machines without being hassled by the man. Yeah.